Great. That's just great. Couldn't have said it better myself. Anyway, Malia, in this part of the interview, we're going to talk about your experience and suitability for the position. I can see here in your resume, you headed up product development for StarCrunch Serials. How many direct reports did you have in that role? Yeah, so it varied depending on projects, but anywhere from 25 to 60 people day to day. I'd obviously created smaller teams within those teams to align with various stages of the delivery process. And then those deputised team leaders would report into me for our individual meetings and at our weekly stand up. And just reading between the lines here, it looks like you were there for the big merger. What did you learn from that process? That's right. I actually chaired the change management team. And look, I'm happy to say that I managed to shepherd us through a huge reskilling process. So through that merger, we only lost 2% of our staffing base. We came through that process a much more agile business. And uh, not to fanboy too much, (laughs) but you were personally responsible for inventing the Crunchy Space Cowboy Breakfast Flakes. They're my (laughs) favourite. I I did, yes. They were my idea. And look, I think that there's still StarCraft's best-selling line. Millions of units a month. See, you don't know, do you? Because you're not there anymore. Oh, yeah. Well, there's an explanation for that. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit awkward, but there's a big old gap in your resume here. What have you been doing for the last four years? I guess you could say I've been doing some product testing in the field. Have you even kept up with the latest in serial technology? I was working on customer development. Well, I definitely wouldn't have wanted to miss the International Fibre and Flake Symposium last year. <laughs> yeah, I was, um, I was bringing a new customer into the world that day. What? What? Kids. I've been having kids. That kind of thing's going to knock you back quite a bit in the salary stakes. Look, who wouldn't take time out of the workplace if it meant skipping the International Fibre and Flake Symposium? I'm Ray Johnston, and this is Getting It Right, a podcast from JobsBank that helps you understand buying and hiring with purpose. In season one, we helped you with social procurement, how to buy goods or hire services from a more varied pool of companies. And this season, we're all about inclusive hiring, We'll give you practical tips on how you can attract a more dynamic, flexible and diverse workforce. And we'll also help you design your workplace to keep those hires. My name's Andrea Ho and I'm the Discipline Lead for Radio and Podcasting at the Australian Film, Television and Radio School. But before that, I have an entire history of work in radio and broadcasting, including on air, in production, in frontline leadership and in executive leadership. Andrea, when it comes to those initial stages of hiring, application, selection, and then an interview, unconscious bias can be present. What exactly is unconscious bias, though? Unconscious bias, put simply, is the kinds of thoughts that we have in our head through learned experience that we don't even know that we have, but that predispose us to think a certain way about certain kinds of situations or people. An easy way to think about it is stereotypes. That's a pretty common example. Everybody has bias. Everybody has biases that we are unaware of. That's why we call them unconscious. 
So in an ideal world, we'd love to create a completely bias-free recruitment process, but let's unpack that a little bit and how to achieve it. So what steps can HR managers take in that initial stage of hiring, that application process to create that bias-free zone we're looking for? I think a bias-free zone in hiring and recruitment is the holy grail that we are all aiming for. To begin by unpacking what unconscious bias looks like in this space, it's usually to do with thinking about certain kinds of people as being appropriate for certain kinds of roles. So to use some pretty blunt examples, people often think that nurses should be women or that tradies should be men or that leaders should be older men. Those are the kinds of quite obvious unconscious biases that I think that we are becoming more and more aware of. But there are many subtle layers of bias underneath that. Say, for example, that young people won't make good leaders or that older people won't be good at new technologies. So ideally, what we want to do is to try and be aware of the biases that we all have. Biases are things that we've learned over years, if not decades, of life experience, and we can't wash them away overnight. But what we can do first and foremost is have a good hard look at ourselves and the people around us and say, what are the things we're likely to be biased about, and then account for those. So Andrea, where are we seeing unconscious bias in the hiring process? So first and foremost, have a look at your organisation. What do you have in your organisation? What are your strengths? And what are you missing? Who are you missing? That tells you something about your organisational biases that are unconscious to you. Then you start to look at how you design the job. What does the job do? What does it need to deliver? And then some of your expectations around that. So you might say, for example, I have a full-time job that needs to be nine to five, and that's how we want to deliver the job. Now, there's a lot of reasons why that simple example alone may actually exclude certain applicants that you might really want. So for example, some person who you might want, who might want to apply, might say, look, five days a week is too much for me, or it's not something I can manage because I have caring responsibilities. But perhaps that person could do four days a week. They could do flexi time. Does it have to be nine to five? Does every day have to be in the office? So thinking about your requirements for the job is the next step. Then you advertise the job. If you want to catch the applicants that you're so keen to get, build in the flexibility that we've just discussed around the design of the job. Say there is the opportunity for flexible working or to discuss hours. These are the tasks that we need done to this level. Then you come to the hiring process, the selection process. So firstly, when the applications come in, some of the basics that are there in the application can really play into the biases that we hold within us. That's a natural part of the way that humans are socialised. But if you want to get past that, you can put in some steps that are not too difficult to do if you work with your HR department. For example, you can remove some of those details, de-identify the cover letter and the resume. But another way is to say, you can leave all those things in. And what we will do is actively look through our resumes and our cover letters and choose to interview the people who actually embody the diversity that we're looking for. The important thing is to try something different if you want a different result. So over your career, what structures have you put in place that have worked out to create those great processes? So best principles are you go back to the start and you say, what's our mission as an organisation? What do we need to do? What is my role in that and my team's role? 
what then are the deliverables that we have to to deliver in order to achieve our part of the mission. So that's our KPIs. And then you look at the team that you already have and you say, what have we got? What are our strengths? And finally, you say, what are we missing? When you look at that gap, honestly, there is your opportunity to include the possibility of diversity. In doing that, you're not changing some of the other basic competencies that you're looking for. You're adding or refining the competencies that you want. So that takes a change in the way that you think about hiring, but it's perfectly achievable. It makes it feel like something really exciting rather than a chore or a box that needs to be ticked. That's exactly it. So being from a mixed cultural heritage myself, I understand that with you being Eurasian, you would be more finely attuned to bias than some of the people that you might work with. So how do you encourage other colleagues who maybe haven't experienced discrimination to be able to understand bias better and avoid it in the future? Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? In the end, when people haven't experienced something, it's hard for them to imagine. For myself, because this is an area that I'm very interested in, I try and be proactive when I can see a colleague is seeking to understand because to me, they are trying to make the effort. So it's a small contribution for me to be able to explain. You can ask your colleagues around you to share a little bit if you feel confident to do so and if you can do so in a way which makes that person feel included and that they are contributing towards a change for the better within the organisation. So let's say now we're at the interview process itself. Could you please share a few helpful tips for interview panellists? So thinking about setting up your questions for recruitment, make sure that you allow time for people to tell stories about their experience And stories that aren't necessarily specific to your industry, but can include the opportunity for them to demonstrate a skill in situ in the industry that they are from. Something that happened to me in applying for my most recent job was new, though, and I had never thought about this. They sent me my interview questions two days beforehand, and they did that for every person applying because what they wanted was to get the very best answers from me, and they acknowledged that most people have time to think about how they might tackle a problem. Now, that time might be a half an hour or an hour. It might be a day or two days, but it gave me a little bit of time to think about how I would respond, and I felt so much more comfortable going into the workplace to do that interview. I've thought a lot about that experience since, and I've thought, do I really need to catch everybody by surprise in an interview process, or actually, can I give people a little bit of time to prepare, just as I would in the workplace and get a much better performance from them. So I'm an employer, I'm conducting an interview today, what can I do differently? So some things that you can do, uh, you can make sure that you have the interview at a time when your, your interviewee is able to easily come to see you or potentially do it remotely if that's going to help. Do they need some assistance getting to see you if you expect them to come in face-to-face? A taxi fare or a train ride may not be a big deal for you, but it may be a big deal for your interviewee. Make sure that they can get into the building, that they know how to get in so that they're not flustered when they're there. Do they have any accessibility needs that you need to take into account when you sit them down? Make sure that they know everybody who is around the table. These are the kinds of things that you can 
simply do to make a person feel welcome. And you don't even have to do anything special. Just remember that you are in a position of power and authority. Your interviewee is not. And to help you get the best performance out of them on the day, some of those small things can make a very big difference. Andrea Ho, who's led work in the inclusion space at several media companies. Don't forget, there's more resources to help you create a better hiring process on the JobsBank Resource Centre. Find it at jobsbank.org.au and make sure you download our other episodes. They can help you on topics like creating a more diverse leadership team, the role of a diversity and inclusion manager, and how to remove unconscious bias across your organisation. Getting It Right is a podcast from JobsBank and it's produced by Deadset Studios. I'm Ray Johnston. This episode was recorded on the unceded lands of the sovereign Darug people. It was produced and edited on the lands of the Turrbal and Jugara people. And we wish to pay our deepest respects to their elders past and present. And we ask that you too acknowledge the Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander lands that you're listening from. Mm-hmm.